What's up, everybody? I'm Mike Wilson with Any Hour Services, and we're proud to help bring you this podcast. If you ever need a resource for information about your home's electrical, plumbing, heating, or air conditioning system, you can find Any Hour Services on Facebook, YouTube, or online at anyhourservices.com. Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Welcome to Ideation Collective. I'm Jess Larson. Today on the show, we've got Bea Voce. She's the founder of Secret SLC. I'll never forget, I went to a women's business summit, and we have all these, you, you know, corporations buy these big tables, and they have all their women leaders who go to these conferences. And this woman gets on stage, and she says, okay, now we're going to write our I am statements. And listen, I can get woo-woo with the best of them. I love woo-woo. <laughs> and there's a time and a place for woo-woo. Like, I want tactics and techniques that I can take with me out of this summit that can increase revenue and drive sales and all the things that I don't get outside of places like this. This is another episode of our Innovation and Leadership series where we interview rocket scientists, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, and a wide variety of other high achievers. If you like what you hear, we're also going to be releasing exclusive bonus materials like PDF checklists, reports, and presentations, but only for members of the collective. If you're interested in those, as of this recording, you can still join for free on the Ideation Collective website, which is iCollective.co slash free. Again, iCollective.co slash free. Also, before getting rolling, we want to invite you to consider helping the charity our founders started called Child Rescue. We work to combat child sex trafficking in the United States and abroad. One of our foreign projects we're working on right now is helping to build an aftercare orphanage in Cusco, Peru. To learn more about that, please come to the Child Rescue section on our website, iCollective.co slash Child Rescue. So with that out of the way, let's get to the interview. Today on the show, we've got Bea Voce. She's the founder of Secret SLC. Bea, thanks for being on the show. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, so tell us what Secret SLC is. So Secret SLC is an invite-only event where I invite leaders in different communities for an evening of blank. So the whole idea is that there's an X factor. You don't get a plus one. You don't know why you've been invited. You don't know who's going to be there, and you don't even know what the event is until you walk in. All you know is it's highly curated, and there was a reason you were invited. Well, uh, I'm such a fan because... I remember when I first time I got invited, you get this crazy email and you like, you don't actually know what it's about. Like you have this sense that it's like kind of the cool kids club or something, but it's like such a mystery. Uh, it was massively attractive that way. It was like the total takeaway sale. Yeah. So I think part of what we do is we play off of the psychology of curiosity, right? Um, not knowing everything, wanting to be involved, the fact that it's invite only, you want to be included, you think you're part of the Cool Kids Club, all of those things. Um, so we're definitely playing with a level of the psychology of influence in this realm, totally. So uh, fun events, you bring you know entrepreneurs and the mayor and interesting bands and, and all this stuff together. Um, when you think about how it really has become kind of a thing and, and people are trying to figure out how to get invited and, and they're trying to get in. Is that, is that really 
part of the sale, like I'm thinking about your sponsors, like when Google has, has sponsored these events for you, what was it that, what was it about what you've made that, that Google wanted to be a part of it? So part of what we've done so far is we've partnered with nonprofits. For the event that Google Fiber sponsored, we were partnered with the Utah AIDS Foundation. And the attraction to Google Fiber was that we par- partnered with a nonprofit because of um, their mission. So when I'm looking for sponsors and when I'm looking for people to co-host and come be a part of this, it's all based off of the theme of the event. So what I'm really looking to do is do these highly curated events where the theme is so attractive to the people who are behind the scenes, like Google or the co-hosts, that they want to be involved. So for instance, if Google is if Google gets involved, part of it is because we're we're hosting we're co-hosting with a nonprofit. Part of it is because they know that that our invitee list, our guest list, is a list of leaders, and this is who they want their product in the hands of. It's also a lifestyle to them, right? They're speaking to a lifestyle, not just the people that they want to get in touch with, but, oh, these are the kinds of things we're involved with. This is who we are. I mean, that's so Google, isn't it? (laughs) Very fun. Um, So when did you first come up with the idea for all this? It was actually, it was 2015. It was like this time last year. So it was December-ish. Uh, yeah, October, November, December-ish. And it was really because I, I was, it came about accidentally. I was the head of uh, memberships for Impact Hub in Salt Lake. And at the time, co-working space. yeah, so Impact Hub is a co-working space. Um, and at the time, co-working was new to Salt Lake City. And so when I would try and attract members, I would say co-working and their face would totally go blank. Like I, like I just lost them. And anything I said from there on out, they were so disinterested. So I thought, okay, I need to come up with a way that I can get people involved in co-working without knowing what co-working is. And I've lived in a bunch of different places, New York City being one of them. And I thought, well, what if I integrate this underground party thing that New York and all these big cities have? Um, So I decided I'm going to throw this event. I'm going to bring a bunch of co-hosts on. They're all going to be other local business owners who have big networks. Together, we're going to curate a guest list. And at the end of the night, there's going to be a... um, a gift bag. And in the gift bag will be a free month membership to Impact Hub. So I just want to get some people in to find out what this co-working thing is. But we're not going to talk about co-working. It's just going to be held in the co-working space. And then, oh, aha, and the gift bag is going to be this really cool free membership to what? I don't know. You're going to find out. So that was initially what what started this. And people didn't sign up for memberships after that. So that didn't really work. Um, but what it, what I did realize was that community got so engaged. We basically, what happened was I took five, I took, I think like five or six co-hosts, which were these business owners together. We curated the guest list, right? We gave the guests, we invited 150 people. We gave the guests five days notice. And after five days, a hundred people showed up. And so that that conversion rate doesn't happen with events, especially with five days notice. So we knew we had some, we knew we had something that was going to be that the people wanted that they didn't have. And so from there, I took the experiment outside of just co-working and I, and moved it into the experience that it is today. Um, you know, it's interesting. Obviously we, we met at the hub when child rescue had their offices over there. And, um, what a, incubating, connecting type of place. Um, it is, you know, with Uber there and the venture capital firms and the startups. And, um, 
When you think about seeing that happen, how much of an influence did that have being at the hub and being around the hub for knowing what you did and didn't want for Secret SLC? So that's an interesting question because I think part of the cool part about a co-working space and about Impact Hub and is that you see people in startup. I mean, the people who are generally members there, except, you know, the bigger ones like Uber, but there are so many startups. So what it really did was say, okay, it didn't quite work like I thought it was going to work, but I see so many people who that's, that's the same thing is happening for them and they're testing and I see them on the ground testing. So to have influence from people who are kind of in my realm without even knowing that I was in their realm, right? This, this happened accidentally. Um, made it, made it okay to fail and made it okay that what I thought would look one way actually didn't. And I'm going to veer off and go in a different direction. And it made me, it made me very malleable just because I saw people doing it. And I saw that's, that's how it was done. I don't have a business background. So for me, my, my business incubator or my business school or whatever was being around the people who had done it before or who were in it, who were in the threshold of, of the startup world. Interesting. Well, um, let, let's talk about another one of your businesses. Um, I, you know, as a self-identified uh, addicted learner, um, I really love the Bold Affair and the, the Womanpreneur events that you guys, that you put on. Um, tell us about the format for, for how you like to do those. Yeah, so the Bold Affair is the basically the anti-conference, the unconference, the it's like the conference or the workshop that you want to go to, not the conference that's in a room with no windows where you're in the really uncomfortable chairs and you're sitting down for 12 hours. And by the end of the day, then you're just eating crappy fast food next to the airport rest. You know, we're, we wanted to create the anti that. And so how we run them basically, I mean, you've been involved. We've, we bring in really interesting people who have, totally different backgrounds and we provide a space for our attendees that really lends itself to learning. So when you came to our retreat, for instance, we had Jess in a room full of women, which that's a, that's a brave thing to do anyhow, (laughs) Um, but not on a stage or on a platform, but really in, in a a dining room area, a, a, a living room space that felt, it feels like you're not on a platform. It feels like you are one-on-one engaged with the people who are, you're on the ground doing the work that they're doing. Um, psychologically, it, it really, it really lends itself to, Hey, we're just people. We're just, we're just doing the same thing. Yeah. I may have, I may have tried a few things and I may, I may be a few steps ahead and you can have a one-on-one conversation with me and we can really get down to the nitty gritty of what you're doing because I've been there instead of this platform that, that feels a little, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It feels a little like you've got seniority over the group. And so they're listening to you in a very different way. So that's one of the the ways that we intentionally organize our events is we want people in a space that feels really intimate and, and, and personal, personal and lends itself to authenticity. Exactly. Well, I remember, um, you know, you've had me teach at a couple of your things and I, I remember, uh, (laughs) you're coaching. You're like, 
Yeah, so Jess, uh, I know you like all your books and stuff. Can you actually just like pull it down to stuff they can go home and do? It's like I, I felt like a little chastised. I was like, uh, yeah, that's great, Jess, but let, let's talk specifics. Um, why don't you tell me about this thing about going to conferences that are aimed at women that, that have a lot of fluff and, and why you didn't want to do that? Yeah, well, I'll never forget I went to a women's business summit and we have all these you, you know, corporations buy these big tables and they have all their women leaders who go to these conferences. And this woman gets on stage and she says, okay, now we're going to write our I am statements. And listen, I can get woo woo with the best of them. I love woo woo. <laughs> and there's a time and a place for woo woo. Like I want tactics and techniques that I can take with me out of this summit that can increase revenue and drive sales and all the things that I don't get outside of places like this. Like, so, so when I heard the, I am statement to me, it was the exact thing that I didn't want to do. Sure. I want to provide a comfortable space. I mean, the people who come to our conferences are wearing leggings and they're bare feet and they're snacking while they're, while they're listening. So it's not that it needs to feel professional to feel very tangible and very actionable. And so I think so much of the mistakes that we make when we go to these, when, when we host these conferences or these workshops is that we stick with contextual we stay contextual and we never really get down to the nitty gritty of what to actually do. Like when we're talking branding, we base how many times I can't even tell you how many times I've heard, Oh, this is, this is Google and Apple and Starbucks and their branding. And it's like, great. Okay. Now I know what a brand is and what does that have to do with me? And how do I do that? I don't want, I sure context is great, but give me that in 10 minutes. And then the rest, I want action oriented. This is what I can actually take home and, and convert. And I think that's really important. And as women, a lot of times we don't get that. Yeah. I remember when you were giving me the gears and you're like, let's talk about sales, Jess. Can you give us like real, like, no, say this, do this. Um, tell, tell me, tell me again what it was about, um, that you feel like the sales advice given to women about be nice, be authentic. You know, what, what's, what's the kind of, tell, tell us more about that. So we get so much, I'm just not, the, the words aren't coming, but contextual feels like the, the best word that I can think of right now. We get so much of the overarching, um, if you want to make the sale, then you've got to be authentic, just like you said. Um, or if you want to, um, if you want to make the sale, make sure you're building connection. Just, just re really listen to where they're coming from. So we get this advice. And then when it comes down to the conversation, we don't get this we don't, we don't, how to close it. We we're It's like, that's the conversation that nobody wants to have with women because we're too busy talking about feeling good and being authentic. We're not talking about closing and really what it takes to close. And what happens when somebody says no? And actually what happens, what are the fine, like the fine tuned negotiation skills that you need, especially as a woman, because a lot of the times we have higher voices and we're smaller. And that is a big deal when it comes to closing a deal. And we don't talk about that. And so we're having these conversations that are so based around what could be made for everybody, like the everybody's sales techniques, when really selling as a woman is different than selling as a man. And that's not bad or good. It just is. And we need, we, we also need the hard tactics that close and nobody wants to talk about that because we don't want to talk about revenue. We want to talk about 
marketing. And, and that's, and that's, I think what we get so much of is, oh, like women don't want to hear about the, 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 the hard lines, the data. We want to hear about the softer stuff, the marketing, the branding. And so that's what we get. It is interesting. You know, um, I'm a big fan of content marketing. You know, you see inbound marketing this and social media marketing that. And and it is, um, you know, quite a glaring hole how much you don't hear the revenue tracking that resulted from from this social media campaign. You hear um, how many media impressions. You hear level of audience engagement, right? But do you hear how many dollars came in and what was the margin no. on those dollars? No, hardly ever. What I hear is this is how you build a social media campaign. That's what I hear. And that's what I, that's what I learned. That's what I've learned, how to build a social media campaign, how to build your newsletter, how to that. And it's implied, oh, this will be a good, this will be a good social media campaign. Totally. And look, and look how many hits you've got and look how many likes you have. And we don't, the conversation doesn't extend past that. Generally speaking, the conversation doesn't extend past that. Yeah. Well, um, thinking about closing and thinking about getting actual people through the door to um, paying to be at, at uh, things like the Bold Affair. Um, you know, you're, you're a young entrepreneur and you regularly have these women that could be easily your mom's age coming in and trusting you. Um, what, do you what do you attribute that to? What do you, why do you think that is happening that way? So I think part of it is especially with the older generation, they know the people who are on the ground are, and who have the most energy are generally my age. And they, they know not to look necessarily to, to their age group because the energy is kind of lost. And I hear that, so, I can't even tell you how many times I've heard, you just have so much energy for this. And they want, there's a piece of them that wants that. Um, and I also think offering something that people just aren't offering right now, which is not, yes, it's contextual and it's action oriented. I look, I've gone to so many workshops. I've gone to so many conferences. I look at them all the time and that's not what they're selling. We get so, we get so much woo woo and we get so much feel good. And I think it's really refreshing when women are, when women are approached with, Hey, we're going to, we're going to get down to the nitty gritty. We're getting to some like hard numbers. This is, this is what we're doing here uh, again and feeding to the feminine feeding to the, the, the female side of it, which is, and by the way, you're going to be really comfortable in a safe space and you're going to get really authentic and maybe you'll cry and maybe, you know, you have this like really, so we, we, no, no, I, I think you deliver on that. I remember saying that, you know, Hey, this will be great. I want to, I want to listen in, to, you know, previous speakers so that, so that I can, you know, make sure that my stuff's in context. And you're like, well, Jess, the thing is, uh, you're not allowed. <laughs> like they, they need to feel like they're not being judged and that they can be safe with a bunch of women. So you're allowed to come in when you when you talk. So, anyways, I like you, like you. I feel like you um, had the advantage of uh, you had firm convictions about what you were putting together, and you know you um, like you weren't disrespectful or mean about it. You just this is what it is, and um, I think it probably adds to you being able to create the kind of effect that you're trying to create. 
I hope so. I hope so. And I also think, I mean, if I'm going to be totally real about this, if I also think it the workshops don't fill up fast. And part of why I get people into my workshops is because if it's not full the week of, it's not like I'm canceling the workshop. It's like I'm thinking of every possible thing I can do to get to fill the room. And and if that means hosting a free event where I can get in front of a hundred new people and then sell three of those people or however many people I'm converting to get into my room, I'm going to throw together a, an event that's free and get a hundred people in the room so that I can convert, you know? So it's, it's also, yeah, I think there's the, there's part of the attraction that's like, this is action oriented. This is great. You're going to get tangible takeaways, et cetera. And there's a level of hustle that's like workshops are hard to fill. Events are not, not easy. And if what I'm doing isn't working, I'm going to reroute. And that's just always been my, that's always been my perspective. Yeah. You know, I think that adapt and overcome is, is something I see with the way you do things. Um, you've got kind of a tenacity about your creativity. Um, when you see, um, a lot of events out there, I, I know you are a student of that. You, you participate. Um, and there's a lot of people that are waking up to the fact that in the digital age where people feel disconnected in the same room where two people are texting, not talking to each other, right? Um, that there is something kind of awesome about events, right? Um, what tips can you give any, let's say there's entrepreneurs or innovators listening to this and they're thinking, yeah, we're thinking about this in an event. Um, what are kind of classic mistakes you see in people throwing events that end up mediocre? Um, so what I would say first and foremost is that almost every networking event sucks. I mean, really, like, I don't know if I've been to one networking event that calls itself a networking event. That's good. And I think I'm probably, I, I've asked this to groups of people and almost every single hand goes up since I can't get hands here. I'm just going to say this. I mean, how many of you have been to a networking event that you didn't get anything out of? And that was just a time suck. I'm willing to bet. I'm really willing to bet most well, people. This idea of people walking towards you and their card is in their hand as they're oh. shaking their your hand and how many cards can I how many cards can I get handed out tonight is their goal for being there totally right so I think the one of the bigger mistakes that okay I'm gonna veer off just for a second and then we'll come back but one of the big one of the biggest mistakes that happens at those events um, is that the people going there have they have the idea of what can I get out of this? What can I get out of this conversation? And so as soon as they're engaged in a conversation with somebody who they know they can't get something from, their eyes glaze over. And for some reason, you don't think that the other person notices. And then you're just waiting for your next out to end the conversation and get to the next person. People can sense that. And that's part of what makes these events not work is that you're not gearing up your audience to be in the model that um, one of my dearest friends, Rachel Hofstetter, and her partner, Angela Gia Kim, came up with, which is give, give, get. And the entire idea of give, give, get is that before you walk in anywhere, before you ask for anything, you're thinking, what can I give? Before you're thinking, what can I get? And if you can prep your... So as so as somebody hosting an event, right? This, this can go both ways. As the person going to the event and the person hosting the event, if you can somehow prep your audience for, hey, no matter if this is a networking event or not, in general, connection happens when you give first. And we all need connection in order to build relationships. And we all need relationships in order to build our businesses. So... 
if you can prep your audience in one way or another for what you what can you give then all of a sudden you've got a you've got a community of people who are coming to your event who are really engaging in a way that generally people aren't engaging in events um in a way that people's eyes aren't getting glazed over and that's something new for people people don't get that a lot people get general you get your name tag you get your you, you go to the bar you get your drink you whatever you you distract yourself as much as you can until you talk to, I mean, people have done that so many times that they're sick of it. We're so sick of it. And so for people who are hosting events, I would say the the biggest mistake that we make is not taking care of our customer. It's not taking care of our audience. It's not taking care of the, the attendees. And when I say taking care of, I think part of that happens before people walk in the door and really prepping the people, not, not overtly prepping the people like, by the way, you've got to have this conversation and this, you know, it's not like cheesy. It's like, how can you really in the, in the undertone of your messaging, how can you really incorporate, Hey, this is the kind of person who comes to our event and guess what? Our event isn't for everybody. This is who it's for. Well, uh, Rachel is great, by the way, another guest on the show, uh, PR school and everything she's doing. Mm-hmm. I love her. Very impressive. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, it's funny that you talk about experience design because I actually think that that is a good description. Um, I, I've been in some of your planning meetings um, where you guys, uh, well, and I think this is a credit to you that you're willing to risk, you're willing to try things. You don't need a guarantee of success. And then you're also willing to take feedback. You had that, you put, you put that group of trusted people together to say, is this working? Are these reaching their potential? Um, you know, I think a lot of us kind of fall in love with our own ideas. Um, can you tell us about your mentality of, of seeking advisors? Yeah. And you know what? I'm, I'm in the process of this in a, in a major way. I think I look at what people are doing in the community. And if it's somebody who I respect and I think is doing something really interesting, I want their feedback. And what I know is that the most innovative solution comes from different minds and comes from minds that are outside your industry because they are not thinking at all like you're thinking. They're thinking in a very different capacity. So so getting getting minds that are not thinking alike to come solve one common problem, I think is really smart. And I didn't make that up. I learned that. And, and so I take that. I take that with me. It's part of why I do feedback sessions. And in the feedback sessions, I, I mean, I, I don't have the toughest of skin. I, I try, but it's not like I don't go home and cry, you know? <laughs> I try to have tough skin, but part of this is like, if I want this to be the best that it can be, um, I need to get critiqued. And some of that doesn't feel great. And some of that isn't the stuff that you want to hear. But I don't necessarily need to hear what's working. I kind of know what's working. I need to know what's not working that's in my blind spot. Well, I think it takes a level of courage that, um, I don't know, uh, in my experience, a lot of entrepreneurs aren't willing to delve into the part that they don't like, um, even in the name of progression. So I think it's a real credit to your approach. Um, I'm thinking about um, this idea of experience design. And I remember things that both you and some of your co-hosts talked about of um, having these intentional conversations of how can we have this set up so that people don't show up and do the same thing of 
get your drink and stand lonely by yourself until somebody comes and talks to you and or, or talk, only talk to the people that you already know and you may as well have just gone to dinner with your friends instead of come to our event. And um, and then I'm thinking of, of the one, the last one that I came to and it's like you walk in. First of all, you don't know what you're doing or you are, but you do walk in. And they're saying like, in order to get your drink, you have to find a person like this and you have to drag them over to the bar with you so that you can get your drink. And, uh, and uh, it was kind of funny because like you kind of had the impression that you know the guy isn't going to give me my sprite if i don't <laughs> yeah, totally. find somebody who has red hair and blue eyes you know what <laughs> I mean? and so it's this, it's this funny thing where you know to get in the door they had to do the same thing and so they're so they're playing along like it's it's, it's not awkward because everybody had to do it it's kind of like this combined misery of like so i know this is kind of funny but my thing says this we we go over with me and then it turns into these conversations and um it, it anyways i feel like you achieved this idea of designing something that wouldn't feel awkward in getting introduced to others so i think I've studied experience design. I mean, this is so important when you're hosting events. So, and, and, you know, people hire me out to do experience design for their workshops because of how important this is and what, and how often this is missed. So I would say secret SLC has basically been a giant experiment and that's how I've looked at it. And at the beginning we had plus ones, you could bring somebody and now you don't get a plus one. Very maybe I have somebody who gets a plus one, but it's I know who they're bringing. It's not. It's it's like they come. They're kind of like a a power couple or whatever that I really want both of them there. But generally speaking, you don't get a plus one. So everybody's walking in on the same playing ground, and that's really important. Everybody's walking in not knowing what the heck they're getting into. No clue. Everybody's walking in knowing that. If they didn't get a plus one, no one else did. Everybody's walking in on the same playing field, and that's really important when enhancing connection. And then knowing that when people first get there, I mean, think about, put yourself in their shoes, right? When you walk into an event and you don't know anybody, what's the first thing that you do? You're kind of scrambling to find somebody you know, or what do you do to occupy yourself? And and it's awkward. And and so to take that, to relieve that immediately is, and I'm still working on this, but one of the ways that we found to do that is to have an engaging conversation starter on a drink ticket. Because what happens at events, generally speaking, is you walk into the, the event, you find the one thing that you know can occupy yourself first, and that's usually to grab a drink. And that's where people head first. And then while they're grabbing the drink, what people are generally doing is kind of awkwardly looking around, finding somebody who's not in a conversation, who's the next person I'm going to talk to. I mean, this is all of our experience this is generally speaking a universal experience so how can but but isn't it funny i mean this doesn't sound like earth shattering stuff no but isn't it isn't it funny how uncommon this is thought through yeah because what people aren't thinking about is the little details it's not okay so for for instance one of the things that oh i think back at this and i'm like like pull my hair out. One of the things that I did when I was hosting events at first is I didn't have music on in the background. And that sounds like such a simple thing, but to have stark silence is so uncomfortable. And you do not realize how uncomfortable that is until you're in a room full of people and the tension, you can feel the tension. (laughs) Um, 
And so when I started noticing that it was the little things that made or break, made or that make or break the environment, um, I started paying very close attention, very close attention. And then I just started playing, paying really close attention to when I went to events. And I think it's, I think it's really interesting because generally speaking, when you're hosting event, you're thinking big vision, you're thinking, these are the things that I want to accomplish. I need this speaker to be on time. I need people in their seats at this time. I need this to be the output. What you're not thinking about is the intricacies of what's actually happening in the mind of somebody when they're going through and they're experiencing your event, because that's not necessarily your goal. Your goal is I need this speaker. I need people to be on time. I need, I need this output. You're not thinking like, what's the overarching experience? What's the meat of what people are walking away with? You think that it's the speaker. Yeah. You think it's the content. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of like, you know, yeah, you need, you need the hamburger patty and the hamburger, but that's not the, but there are other elements. Totally. Right? I'll never forget. This was one of the more, most powerful experiences to me when it comes to um, my work in experience design. So we held this retreat, just spoke at the retreat. And it was the, the first day we went around, we did icebreakers. And one of the questions that we asked was, and this was a, this was a quote unquote icebreaker, but for us on the back end, it was a little more. So what we did was we said, what's your favorite coffee order from your favorite local coffee shop, right? Everybody goes and answers and secretly we're writing down their coffee order. And that's day one, the retreats three days on day three, we're sitting around in a circle. Everybody's sort of talking. And then all of a sudden their favorite coffee drink is delivered to them. I had out of 15 women, I had two women cry <laughs> crazy. And that is the one thing I have heard over and over again that made them feel so taken care of and so seen. And it was a drink. It was a drink. Well, the bar is so low. You know, the bar is so low for other people <laughs> yeah, totally. handling anything except how good the speaker was yeah, or how pretty the venue was. Right? Totally. Um, well, listen, people who want to brush up on this skill set, in addition to you know maybe taking notes at the events they go to, what they like, what they don't like, are there books, are there blogs? Is there anything that stands out for you, or has it been more just your personal experience? I would say if you want to brush up on your skill set, for me, what it's been is is walking into these events and seeing how you feel. I mean, really looking at how you feel when you walk into an event when you don't know anybody or you only know a couple people. If you do know a couple people, are you three in the corner just talking to each other? Did you meet anybody new? If you didn't, just really gauging how you're feeling. Kind of granular. Totally. And, and look at the simple fixes. I mean, because everything that I've said, right, it's either free, really cheap, and super simple. Yeah. Well, um... We're kind of nuts about books because I'm nuts about yeah, books. I, <laughs> I mean, I, know, I know you don't know that, but <laughs> I know I've never heard that. And I've never seen you walk into a room with an entire bookcase of books. <laughs> okay. But, uh, but what are, what are some of your favorites for any recommendations for business owners, entrepreneurs, innovators? Yeah. I, I don't know if you've already said this and I'm guessing any book that I could say you you may have already said, but contagious. You've John and Berger. Love it. So it, it is so spectacular. I love that book so much. It's about why people share, not just share a video, but why people look, like, why, why I share a story with a group of people and it's been transformative. And it, especially in the event world, if you want to host up, I mean, secret SLC is a perfect example of a contagious idea. 
It's secret. It gets people feeling important. I mean, it plays off of so many ideas that are in this book, Contagious. I love the book, Contagious. Yeah, amazing book, right? So Jonah Berger, he's a professor at Wharton. You know, he, he studied under uh, Chip Heath from Stanford. Um, excellent, excellent book. Couldn't recommend it. Uh, the other book that I love for business owners and for everybody else is The Five Love Languages. <laughs> I, I think, listen, it's meant for couples, but it is a game changer in business also. It talks about how we all receive love. And the whole, the overarching idea is that generally speaking, we give love the way that we receive love. And that fundamentally, that's just how we're, we're wired, but that not everybody receives loves the way that, the way that you do. So while Jess may receive love with words of affirmation and his, I, his wife wants him to do acts of service and exactly. clean up the house. And then what happens? I told you, I love you baby and that you're beautiful. What's wrong here? <laughs> And she's like, if you could just clean up the freaking dishes, honey. If you could just put up the Christmas lights. Exactly, exactly. Then I'd really know you love me. And in business, how that translates, I mean, I love handwritten notes. It's just what I I love it. I've given Jess probably a million at this point. I don't know. Um, but, But I do that partly because it's the way that I receive love, but partly because what I've noticed is that words of affirmation for a lot of entrepreneurs is one of the hot, most likely it's one of their love languages. And so if you can find out if you're in business and you're trying to get a client or, um, you're doing an event or you're thanking a speaker or any number of, there are so, as so many different ways that you can give somebody quote unquote love via their love language. If you read this super, super simple book, the way I do it is handwritten love notes. You know, it's interesting. I, I remember uh, university years ago, uh, my English teacher talked to us about this and about how uncommon they are and how often people will keep them for years. And he actually wrote them to us as students, but it was like um, he, he had like a specific reference of something that he had appreciated about me in class. I can't even tell you the names of some of my professors, but I can remember exactly what he wrote in that note to me. You know what I mean? Um, I, have a, I have a different one of my staff members. She'd been a helicopter pilot uh, in the Navy and, and worked at Naval Special Warfare and uh, ended up working with some two and three star admirals in the Navy. And she like, I actually got uh, her favorite book on handwritten notes because she's like such an expert at it. And um, what's funny again is simple. I mean, so cheap, it may as well be free and yet so uncommon. So uncommon. And you know what you hit on right there? That is such a, such a big deal is we love to be acknowledged. And if you want to work on being likable and for people to feel really connected with you, acknowledge them, acknowledge them because it's so, I mean, if you can think about a time where somebody came up to you and said, wow, thank you so much for doing that. That changed my day. Or you're so good at this. How did it make it like lights you up inside? There is something about acknowledgement that is one of the most beautiful and simple and effective ways of getting people on your side. Well, it's interesting too. I mean, I think there's the obvious context of clients or people you hope to become clients, but, um, you know, I've got some friends work at OC Tanner, um, you know, guys make the Olympic rings for the Olympians, but they have all these reward programs that they, you know, they'll build the 
whatever the gift is that these companies are giving for the 20-year service or the whatever. And it's interesting. They've moved so much past the product into the psychology of, of recognizing and acknowledging your staff. And for those of us who are trying to build something new and we're trying to lead the charge into untart, uncharted territory and we've got the team members or the joint venture partners or the business partners or the whoever that we're trying to get come to come with us. Um, I mean, as you're talking, I'm just thinking about the ways that our self-focused society invites each of us to be self-focused. No wonder it's rare that this acknowledgement happens and no wonder there's so much loyalty and enthusiasm that can be generated even on your own team by simple, often free things. Absolutely. And psychology says that we will like you more if you acknowledge us, even if we know that it's not true. It's we, we still like you more. So it doesn't even matter what the acknowledgement is. We still like you more. Pretty interesting. (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to recommend everybody go further if, you, if you're sincere. Yes, of course you want it to be sincere, but it doesn't have to be true. All to say, they don't even have to believe it about themselves. And that's another book, The Psychology of Influence. I'm pretty sure you've read that one also. Uh, are you talking about Robert Cialdini, the guy who taught it? Yes. At, uh, Is that not the name of the book? Did I mess up the name of the no, book? No, uh, the book's Influence. Influence, the um, psychology of why we something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what I think is fascinating about that one is him getting away from uh, just theories and talking about, and here's this experiment, and here's this experiment, and th- here's this experiment. And uh, it's not just, hey, here's some guy with some ideas. It's this is what we did in the real world, and, and here's how it turned out. Absolutely. Um, well, uh, I always like to ask guests um, on the idea of getting the word out and, and getting people to care about things. Um, you know, pet project, my baby there with child rescue, what advice, you know, you've been a big supporter and and encourager of what we've done at child rescue. What advice do you have for us about getting more people involved in wanting to rescue kids from child trafficking? Such an interesting question. I think what you run into and you know this way better than I do, but I think what you may run into is because it's not in our backyard. It's hard for like, why doesn't, why don't we do this here? Why isn't this right? And so you have this, there may be a disconnect, but for people between, um, this happening here and helping people on our soil and then doing something far away. That's not, that's in our periphery, if not in our, in our totally out of our view, making this relatable to people in a way that makes them feel like, Whoa, what if that was me? What if that was my son or daughter brings it home in a way that you feel directly affected? And I know that feels a little intangible, but I'm on the spot right now. And, um, <laughs> and so what I, I think, think of, I think the- it's a valid thing though. I, I remember going to an aftercare facility in Latin America, right? And I'd been working on this issue for five, six years because I mean, it was, and before this, um, and it was something about spending a week with these kids at the same age as my children. Like mentally I knew that, but there was something about the experiential aspect of it. So I, th- I think it's reasonable advice of how much, you know, are there ways for us, what I put in words in your mouth, but what I feel like you're saying is let people experience it. Let people feel like these are, 
these aren't those kids. These are any kids. Absolutely. And I think having your wife as a spokesperson for this and her mom as a spokesperson for this is invaluable for the way that it makes somebody feel like, wow, that could have been me. That could have been somebody I know. That could have been my daughter. That could have been anybody. That's great. Um, you know, one of the other topics, um, thinking about summing up business of, you know, have something awesome, figure out how to get, how to attract people to want it from you, you know, have enough leadership that the human systems involved in those first two things don't fall apart. Right. Um, is there, who's set an example for you on how to treat people? Is there someone earlier in your life, earlier in your career or, or people that you feel like, man, if I grew up, I want to be more like them? Yeah. So I have an aunt. She is a life coach in New York city and she's won awards and she's, she's brilliant. Um, and she was always the aunt when we grew up, she was like the fun aunt. Um, and later on I ended up hiring her and you know, I've, I've worked with her. She, I'm really close with her and what she always did. And I had the name for it that I'll use for it now is add value. But what she was always doing is giving more than you expected from her. And so for instance, she, I, I hired her and one of the things that she did was I was, we worked together for, I don't know, a month, like not that long. And then, um, sure. I always got like calls on my birthday or anything like that, but she ended up on my birthday one year, that year that I worked with her, she wrote a, she had this card that was typed up and it was beautiful. And, um, it was this postcard that's now in my room. Um, it just kind of encapsulated what I was going through with her. It was a really great quote and it was on my birthday and it was a birthday card. And that's again, going back to the simplicity of it. It's the add value that you can give somebody that I have now taken on tenfold. Um, she wasn't paid to do that. That was, we are, we were far, we were done working together and yeah, she, I, I say she, she's my aunt, but she didn't do it because I'm her niece. She did it because of how she add values, adds value to her clients. So when I think about adding value, I always, whenever I work with anybody, I always think what is, how can I over deliver in a way that's totally unexpected and a way that will make them feel really good because at the end of the day, we all, we all want to feel acknowledged. We all want to feel connected. We all want to feel important. And if there's a way that I can do that for somebody that I'm working with or a friend or whatever, it's just, it's at the top of my priority list. That's great. Um, now you have contact with a lot of entrepreneurs. Um, you're, you're running courses, teaching them, you're, you're inviting them to your events and stuff. Um, who's doing anything these days that's super interesting to you that you just, uh, you've been fascinated with what they've come up with and how they're doing it. Any, any friends, any entrepreneurs that, uh, kind of inspire you today with whether they're inventing something new or just the way they're going about it in a way that no one else is going about. So, ah, that's interesting. I, I want to say Rachel again, just because she's, she's a dear friend. Obviously she's one of my closest friends and she has just taken this trajectory from, she was an editor over magazine and then turned that and she wrote a best-selling book on food entrepreneurship because she was the food editor and the way that she's spun her talents and really used her talents to, um, 
flow into different revenue models, I think is brilliant. I just think her mind is absolutely brilliant in that way. Um, as far as content goes right now, I am obsessed with this woman named Alison Armstrong, and she's been studying men and relationships since the 90s. And she just has this way of approaching relationships and this way of approaching who you are as a man and who I am as a woman through throughout the trajectory of our life that not only supports romantic relationships and why you are the way you are and why you have the needs that you have, but also professional relationships. And the content is so digestible and so easy and so simple, but so profound. And so I'm really digging her lately. I just really love her. Um, and she's really inspiring to me the way that she has, she is stuck with, I think right now, What's also really interesting to me, I just wrote a blog post about this yesterday, but the, the idea that somebody can stick with somebody with something for 30 plus years, I'm fascinated by it because that's not, that's not in my DNA to stick with one thing. Um, I just heard this talk by Elizabeth Gilbert and she's the author of Eat, Pray, Love. And she, she talked about the people who stick with one thing, who have passion for their entire lives. And she's one of them. She's like, passion has driven my, my work. It's why I write. It's why I do what I do. It's how I've had my nose to the ground for so long. Passion drives everything for me. That's what, so that's what she's saying. For me, I hear the word passion and I want to vomit because I feel so disconnected from it because I have so many different interests in so many different realms, but I've always made myself wrong for that. And so her idea and I'm now hearing it kind of all over from these people that I really love. The way that I say it is screw passion, screw passion. And this is her, this is totally, and I get that can be controversial for all the passion people out there, but she calls the other people hummingbirds and that we are going from flower to flower and we have a very different way of relating to the world and relating to people because we we get really involved with one thing for a certain amount of time. And then we get super involved in the other thing for another period of time. But I think we can often make ourselves wrong for that. And it can sound like uncommittal. It can look like I'm a fraud. It can look like, why can't I just decide? There are so many ways that it can show up that we can make ourselves wrong for that. Um, so... So the other person that I'm really loving right now is Elizabeth Gilbert, and she she just nails it on the way that if you if you have passion and and one passion you've been so focused like congratulations and I think like that's amazing. But for people like me who feel really disconnected from that one thing, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs have have this in common, the way that she distinguishes this hummingbird theory and this theory of just kind of going from one thing to the next and how that's just as important, I think has been really key for me. Hmm. That's great. Um, you know, uh, another question that, that we ask is, uh, that I ask a lot is if you think about confidence and humility, kind of like a teeter totter, right? Uh, it seems like as entrepreneurs, maybe everyone, but especially as entrepreneurs, at any given moment, we probably either need a little more confidence or a little more humility. Okay. <laughs> and, That's funny. And, uh, and certainly, like, ambitious people, driven people, um, if we start succeeding, it's easy to um, have people treat us different because we've achieved something different or something like this. So 
Um, do you have any advice about what you do when you realize, hey, the teeter-totter's the wrong way? Like, I, like I'm realizing that I kind of think I'm a big deal right now. Um, do you, do you, is there anything you tell yourself? Is there anything you do to help get yourself back to even of, uh, when, when you need a little more humility because, <laughs> you know, you're getting treated like you're special, uh, but you realize, no, I'm just a person. So interesting because, um, I, as I, maybe this is a, f- a f- more female driven, but I relate much more to the. The opposite. No, we're going to ask you about the opposite. Yeah. Okay. So, so there is, it's very rare that I ever feel like I am a big deal, a big deal. Yeah, (laughs) totally. Like I don't, I don't. So I have a really hard time relating to this like overinflated (laughs) sense. And again, that might be a female thing, but I have a very hard time. Yeah. Okay. Let's leave it. Let's go to the other side. Okay. Uh, the times when you walk into a room, you're feeling overwhelmed, you're feeling anxious, like people are watching you or judging you or, you know, um, the world's trying to find you out as a fake, right? Um, are there things that you tell yourself, you know, I, I feel like the world so much moves to this, well, let's pretend I'm better than everyone. Like to solve this, you're like, okay, you're too low. So let's lie and say that you're above other people. Mm-hmm. And we get all this advice about just know that you're the best in the room. Well, actually, you know. We're just people here. You know? Yeah. So do you have any advice about getting back to even without overshooting it? So I think one of the things that I do is I think to myself, nobody cares about me as much as I care about me. <laughs> have other people said that? I feel like that's, uh, I think that's like, nobody cares about me as much as I care about me. Um, newsflash. They're not thinking about you. Yeah. Newsflash. Yeah. They're thinking about them. Um, and the other thing is, is as far as not getting like down on myself or anything like that, is I always think I'm not going to say anything to or about myself that I wouldn't say to or about my best friend. Hmm. So I'm always just really focused on being kind to myself instead of being beating myself up. Now I'm saying this and I'm like making note of it myself, right? I'm like, are you really doing that, Bea? You know, because I, I, I can be really hard on myself too, but I've really developed a practice of as soon as I hear myself going into this, like kind of mean judgmental place in my head, uh, about myself. I'm like, well, would I say this to my best friend? Probably not. Then cut it out. You know, it is interesting, right? As I've done coaching, especially for abuse survivors um, or, or people who have been through traumatic events, um, how, you know, when we're unkind about others in our minds, we feel guilty for it, let alone if you say it out loud, right? Mm-hmm. There's this tinge of guilt. Even if you feel like pretty justified, yeah, there's yeah. like this tinge of guilt. Yet um, when we're unfair about ourselves or, or deeply cutting, um, we don't necessarily, it doesn't necessarily come accompanied with that level of guilt. And uh, so people can be uh, so harsh at times and feeling like, well, I'm the authority on me. Um, and if I think this about myself, it must be true. Like putting so much, like I'm actually feeling this emotion. So what I'm basing that emotion on must also be true in the way they lie to themselves. It's, it's interesting because we relate to ourselves as, a, as if we are our feelings mm. and we're not our feelings. 
and feelings come and go. And if you can sit with what you're feeling, why add all that other junk? I mean, really, and I get, I get easier said than done. I really get that. But we add so, we put so much value and emphasis on the way we feel. Whereas if we're feeling bad or we're having a crappy day, why not just have a crappy day instead of adding all of the, the, the stuff that we add on top of that? And I, again, I get easier said than done. And when I'm saying this, I'm speaking to myself as well. This is a constant practice. And I think if you, because I think the other thing we can do is we'll be having a crappy day and we're like, well, we heard that podcast where we said, where, where they said we shouldn't be saying this to ourselves when we're having a crappy day. And here I am saying it. And now I'm going to like go into this other whole other tunnel, um, knowing that it is a practice and that it's consistently a practice. And that once we practice more, just like anything else, it's the more natural thing to do. But I think a lot of us create this habit where the more natural thing to do is to go into doubt or fear or judgment or harsh criticism of ourselves. That just, what if that wasn't the natural place? What if the natural place was the opposite? Well, you know, it's interesting about this idea that we are not our emotions. Um, I feel like one of the things that's been super helpful to me on that one is a Daniel Goleman's book, Emotional Intelligence. Mm -hmm. He talks about this idea of emotional flooding and how we literally get a chemical dump into our bloodstream. So he's saying, hey, if you're fighting with your significant other, um, the best time to revisit the argument is probably not within the 20 minutes after it's ended. Because it, it often takes about 20 minutes for those chemicals to clear out of your bloodstream. So just because you're not currently fighting with them doesn't mean you're in a safe place to re-engage about the same conversation. Because you're actually just on the edge of the cliff, probably. And so my wife and I talk about it a lot and joke about it a lot, but, but have tried to follow that. And uh, it's not always possible, right? But this idea of counting to 10 and then going for a walk, uh, it's not like that's going to solve the issue, but it increases the probability that you will be able to solve the issue when you come back and those chemicals are no longer in your bloodstream, right? Absolutely. Um, I, I keep joking about writing a book about how watching Jimmy Fallon videos can save your marriage. <laughs> I love that. So <laughs> it's this so idea great. of... You know, we get hijacked by experiences because we have an emotional reaction, mm -hmm. chemical jump, right? But that we can hijack our emotions in our, in our favor too, of finding out, okay, so what can create an emotional dump the other way? And for me, it's funny YouTube videos. Yeah. And so I'm going to the, the Jimmy Fallon, like when it's, if I've really been triggered by something, mm -hmm. it's funny. My wife's totally fine with me going off and watching some videos until I'm like sincerely laughing. Yeah. And it's like hijacking my bloodstream back the other way. And so totally, it's just, it's just so interesting how, how we make the choice to indulge in that chemical cocktail. And that's really what we're doing. And I think often we don't feel like it's a choice. We feel like it's happening to us and we're a victim. totally. And that's just not, that's not true. It's not, it's not happening to us. If you can just stop in that moment and think like, Oh, what if I went the other direction? But we're used to indulging it. And, and our language encourages, you made me feel this oh, way. Yeah. You know, like we've given away all this choice. Mm -hmm. Totally. This is like, we need to have like a whole other episode. No, I know. And this emotional intelligence stuff, I study this and I'm obsessed with it. It's my <laughs> one of my favorite subjects. Okay. Maybe we will have another episode. Um, <laughs> you've been generous with your time here. Any closing advice for entrepreneurs out there of... of whether it's the best advice you were ever given or, or the thoughts of, of, as you're going forward, what you feel like is, is going to help you, um, what would you close with? 
So one that I love is, um, and that I've taken with me is this idea that failure and success are on the same path. And that in order to reach success, you've got to pass failure. It's not on a different road. It's not. And, and that for some reason has just always stuck with me as like, even if I fail, it's a learning and that's all it is. And I'm just one step closer to, to, to success because I'm, 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 it's just a stepping stone on that same path. So that's been really important for me. And the other really important piece is what I was touching on earlier is that if you make a decision and you go in a direction and that direction no longer feeds you, that it's okay to veer and it's okay to, to take a different, to take a different direction and take a different path. I think a lot of times we can invest. I mean, think about it. You invest in a business for five years and it's your baby. And, and, and then what happens if that doesn't work? And what happens if all of a sudden we don't have interest in it? Like we did year one. Well, guess what? You're five years in the likelihood of you having the same interest five years in after year one, it it may not be, even be possible. So being gentle with yourself with, Hey, I tried this. It worked or didn't work. And Ooh, I actually do see the shiny corner in the ob- or shiny object in the corner. I actually do want to go with that and don't make that wrong. Again, I'm talking to myself when I say this too. <laughs> Love it. Thanks again for being on the show. Thanks so much. This is fun. And that's the show. Thanks for listening today. Again, if you're interested in the bonus materials that we will be producing, make sure to come to our website and join the Ideation Collective while it's still free. The website, iCollective.co slash free. Again, iCollective.co slash free. And as always, if you want to learn more about getting involved in helping the team rescue kids from traffickers, please visit iCollective.co slash child rescue. Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for $2.99 subs. How would you like it? Uh, I'll take Drill Sergeant, please. You got it. All right, now listen up. I want each and every one of you to drop and give me a six-inch meatball marinara. Cold-cut combo. Veggie delight. Or black forest ham on your choice of bread with any veggies you want for just $2.99 each. Subway! Make it what you want at participating restaurants. Additional charge for extras plus applicable tax. No additional discounts or coupons may be applied.